All right, Journey Church, welcome back to our series called Food for Thought. We're taking stories in the Bible that have to do with food, and we're seeing this theme that runs through it, how God takes our natural and turns it into the supernatural. So before we get there, though, I want to read one of my favorite uh, passages of Scripture. It's found in Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 14 and 15, it says this, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into, in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Now, I think everybody who's in Jesus, who's found in Christ, we want to grow up. We want to keep growing in God. The question is, how do we grow in God? How do we do that? I think all of us could look back at a time in our life, just even in the natural, where we, we were, had some immaturity in our life. I know I could list several stories. In fact, I share my stories with you all the time about how immature I have been. And we all have these stories. But I was thinking back to when we first started the church, and I was 28 years old. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I can see that now. But at the time, I was 28. I'd been on staff at a large church with thousands of people. Uh, I'd been leading a large ministry up until that point uh, in youth ministry. I'd been in those executive staff meetings where only a few people were let in and planning big events and all those things and pastoring large groups of people. So I thought coming in to lead a church, I'd been prepared or really prepared a lot more than other people had because of all this experience. And, and I got into it and I quickly found out that I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And I can see that now. And so I'm 42 years old looking back at that. And I can see that now, how immature I was in certain areas of my life. And so I wonder, and my leadership, and I wonder now, what will the 52-year-old Sean look back at the 42-year-old Sean now and see as immaturity or see as things that I need to learn along the way? And that's so, that's kind of like, I mean, wow, you know, I want to be careful. It's humbling and all of those things, but it's also encouraging because if you can look back at a time in your life where you can see immaturity and you can recognize immaturity, that means that you've grown in some area. But again, the question is, how does growth happen? But it's actually a good thing to be able to look at that. And so we're going to look at a story today where we can see that one of the major ways that we grow is represented in this story. And it's, it's a story about a guy. It's a strange story about a guy named Ezekiel. Now, you got to understand something about God. God loves to preach sermons and he loves to illustrate his sermons. In the New Testament, we would see this with Jesus he would tell stories called parables, right? And he would tell all these kind of allegorical stories and he would illustrate the sermon with seeds or, or trees or whatever it was. But in the Old Testament, he liked to do something a little bit different. He would take people like prophets and he would have them preach a sermon, only the way he would have them preach a sermon is to actually live out a picture of what the sermon was. And so we see that in this guy named Ezekiel. Ezekiel in 597 BC, he was taken out of his homeland, much like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, uh, all of those guys, and he was exported to Babylon. And so at 25 years old, he's all this around that age is when all this is happening. Some five years or so pass and God calls him in the book of Ezekiel. You can see it. Amazing visions and all this stuff. He calls him into ministry. He calls him to be some sort of a pastor, prophet, priest, whatever you want to call it, uh, to speak to the people of God. And so God lays all of this stuff out and God tells him, he says, I'm, I'm going to put my words in your mouth and whatever I tell you to say, that 
that's what you have to say. And whatever I tell you to do, that's what I want you to do. And so Ezekiel, he wants to serve God. He wants to follow after God. He wants to fulfill his calling. And so he, he says, okay. And, and through a, a simple yes, uh, he says, I'm willing to obey God. How many of you guys have found before, though, when you say a simple yes, all of a sudden that simple yes unfolds into a lot more than just the simple yes? And if you would have known what the lot more was, you might not have said the simple yes. And I'm sure that's exactly what Ezekiel was thinking because he said yes. And if he knew what was coming next, he might not have said yes. And so let me give you a summary of Ezekiel chapter four and what God tells him to do. He says, Ezekiel, I want you to paint a picture and I want you to preach a sermon, but here's how I want you to do it. I want you to take a stone and I want you to draw out on it like in a clay stone or something like that. Draw a picture of the city of Jerusalem. And, and so you got to draw a picture and carve a picture into this stone. And I want you to take some sticks or whatever you've got and make some sort of battle scene with battering rams and just create a whole picture picture uh, of Jerusalem under siege and take all of these things. He's basically saying, Ezekiel, go play in the dirt, go get out your Legos, get out your Hot Wheels and create this whole scene in the dirt. And so that's what he's commanding him to do. And he says that all these battering rams, these sticks and this whole thing. Now remember, Ezekiel's a grown man. And so at that point, I think I might be questioning whether I've heard from God or not. You know, go play in the dirt with all of my toys. And if that wasn't bad enough, God says, oh, by the way, I want you to do this in front of everybody. So for our day, like go to Walmart, sit outside the front door and play with your toys right outside the front door. How many of you guys would be questioning? Maybe I didn't hear from God on this particular thing and he just didn't question it. He's like, okay, I'll just go ahead. And God says, there's still some more. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to lay on your left side for 390 days as you're doing this. And that is going to represent the days of or the years of punishment for Israel. And when you're done with that, I want you to flip over and lay on your right side for 40 days. And that will represent the punishment for Judah. Have you guys again, you might be questioning, you know what, I, that little yes that I said earlier, maybe I shouldn't have said yes. And Ezekiel, he keeps going keeps going with it. He didn't question it. And God says, uh, yeah, but there's, there's still some more things. Um, I'm going to put some ropes around you so you can't move. And Ezekiel's like, okay, whatever. And God continues to tell him, he says, you're, you're not going to be able to survive there without food or water. So bring some water with you. It's going to be a while laying on your side and bring some ingredients to bake bread. And so he has to bring all these ingredients to bake bread and you're going to bake it in front of everybody. But there's one more thing. And I have to show you this scripture in the Bible just to prove that it's there. And what God asked him to do is Ezekiel chapter four, verse 12. And you shall eat it as a barley cake, talking about the bread that he was to bake, baking it in their sight on human dung. Again, I think at this point, most of us would say, maybe I had pizza last night instead of hearing God's voice. But Ezekiel, he's like, I, all right, God, I got to stop, stop you there. And so this is the only point where he begins to question God. He's like, God, I've never done something that to, to defile myself in this way. I've never done something like that. It basically says, I've never done something that gross. It's against what everything I believe. How many of you guys, that's against what I believe too. And so God's like, Okay, uh, you don't have to do it over human dung, but uh, you can do it over cow dung. And Ezekiel's like, 
Okay. And so after all of that, that's his only contention. And it would be a contention of mine as well. But after all of that, so he goes through this whole thing and this is the picture that he's painting. What is the message that he's painting? He says, he also said, I want you to go out and I want you to go to the kitchen, get an iron griddle, put that in between you and the city that's under siege. And that's going to represent a wall that is between me and my people. What is he doing? He's painting this picture of what he's calling Israel to do. And that is one word that we're very familiar with in the Bible, and it's called the word repent. How do you grow in God? Growth comes through repentance. Growth comes through repentance. Why? Because if you're doing repentance right, it causes change in us. Without change or without repentance, there really is no change. I'm going to explain that here later on. But if we want to grow, there actually has to be change in our life. And change comes through repentance. Growth comes through repentance. And since this is food for thought, let's cook some food. Okay, I'm here with my wife, Becca, and we are going to make some bread because that's what Ezekiel did. So I don't know how we're doing this. So tell me what to do. Let's start. Okay, so with this flour, you're going to add the salt. Oh, just dump it in. Yep. Okay, All that was easy. cheddar cheese because we're making jalapeno cheddar bread. Just dump it in there? Yep, dump okay. it in. I've never dumped cheese into flour before. And then you're going to chop, you're going to discard these these parts of the jalapeno and then okay. just chop up the jalapeno. Now this is where I'm at right here, the jalapenos, because I love jalapenos. So now I'm just gonna chop these up into chop slices. It up and you're gonna add it in here. Okay, I'll eat one if you eat one. Uh, I'll take a bite. Okay. Did you get some seeds? <laughs> yeah, I got some seeds. Okay, so we're just gonna throw this in. Alright, so while I'm doing this, um, we're talking about repentance here and um, I was just remember, I was remembering the story that I've told many times before, since you're on the show with me today, I call it a show, uh, you're on the, the show today, uh, I was remembering a time when we, it was probably years ago when we got into an argument, I almost wiped my eyes with uh, the jalapeno juice, um, we got in an, into an argument, which only happens like once every five years, guys, and so um, I was, I remember this certain point in the argument, though, where I realized I'm just not mature enough to handle this conversation. And so I actually just said that. I said, I'm just not mature enough to handle this conversation. And, and I know that I should be mature enough. I want to be mature enough. I want to grow to that point. But I just finally had this realization that I am not mature enough to handle this conversation. And something interesting happened. Like when I finally just said that out loud, I actually matured by actually saying that I wasn't mature enough and because I had realized that uh, I was taking ownership and responsibility uh, for my actions. And Ezekiel, when he's talking about uh, repentance for the nation of Israel, he's not just talking about for the nation. And we see that in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20. He says this, the person who sins is the one who will die. That's a good refrigerator verse right there for you guys. The person who sins, it will die. Put it up for your kids to see that. Uh, it says the child will not be punished for the parent's sins and the parent will not be punished for the child's sins. Righteous people will be rewarded with their own, for their own righteous behavior and wicked people will be punished for their own wickedness. So what he's saying here is that each person is responsible for their own actions. And we live in a culture, and they lived in a culture, where they kind of tried to want to get credit for being around the right people instead of being the right people. So the Pharisees would do that in Jesus' day. 
And we have that today where a lot of us today, am I supposed to be doing something yeah, just, here? With your hands, just mix it up. Okay. So a lot of us today, we kind of want to just have credit for being in the right church or being around the right people instead of taking personal responsibility uh, for who we're supposed to be before God. And so that's what Ezekiel was doing. Okay. I've got this mixed up pretty okay, well. So typically we'd wash our hands at this point, but we're trying oh. to hurry. We're going to put this yeast in this bowl here. Okay. All right. And then, I'll put it right here. Right, just dump it in. Yep. And then pour that. Pour in this there. water pour in here. Water, and then you're gonna use this to make it dissolve. My problem is I go fast with these things. Okay, so I'm gonna just stir this together. Mm -hmm. Okay. Stirring, stirring, stirring. All right. Now we're gonna dump this into here. Oh, awesome. Just dump the whole thing in. Yes. All right. I'll try to be careful. Okay. All right, and you're gonna use the spatula to start stirring it around and just mix it up. Okay. I'm trusting since you're helping me with this, it's going to turn out right, but uh, we're going to get ready to have a twist in all of this because we're going to not just bake this in the oven, we're going to try to do it a little more Ezekiel style and we're going to try to bake it over some coals, over some fire with a Dutch oven. So uh, that sounds pretty cool, although we've never done it before. So we're going to see how it works. All right, so stir this in, yeah. right? Okay, so now you're going to, with the spatula, make a turn. Okay. Make a and, turn. Yeah, just like, like that. Of, yep, and then make turn the. Yep, just like then that. You're gonna do that eight do that. times. What's the point of this? I just stirred it's it. It's like of, it's kind of like kneading. This is a no knead bread. And but so, I'm kneading it. Well, not really. Okay, I don't. It's I very, lost very count. Easy. Is that eight? Uh, That's close enough. Okay. So now we're gonna let this rise for an hour. All right, we'll be back. Okay, that's now risen or whatever right. it has. Okay. Now we're gonna. Flour this surface and plop that on there. Yeah. Okay, now get your hands. Here, go ahead. <laughs> okay. That's not, Here, that's sticking get, completely. Get oh, that. Okay, we what actually am I supposed to do? don't want it. So you're going to fold it again like you did the first time, okay. and this time you're doing it with your hands. All right, now stick it like flat side, like to flip it over onto here, like that. Okay. Okay. Okay, try to put it in kind of a circle. That is in a circle. Like, All right, good enough. Okay, you need to wash your hands. <laughs> Sprinkle the cheese on top. Yeah. All right, now you're gonna take this knife and you're gonna make kind of a, an X. Okay. I'm not a child, but I know you have to instruct me like one because of that right there. <laughs> I mean, what are you supposed to do? It's a blob. There, that's fine. That's good. Okay. Okay. Now you're just going to take these and just pop, put them on there. All right. Kind of like candles in a birthday cake. Okay. This is one of those things we haven't done before. So you're going to pick up the whole thing and just put it right in here. Sure. There we go. That works. All right, now we'll take it outside, put it on the coals I have already prepared. Okay, my neighbor's mowing his yard, but uh, we'll have to talk over that. So we're gonna put some coals down here, right down here. Okay, ooh, that's, <laughs> that's a lot. Okay, so problem is Ezekiel, he had to cook this over cow dung instead of this, and I don't have any cow dung, but my neighbor does have horses, so I'll get some of that. Okay, there's some over here. Gotta try to be as authentic as we possibly can. Okay, yeah, there we go. That really does stink. 
Okay, I dropped most of it on the way over here, but I got some on there, so it's good enough. Okay, so we're gonna put that right there. Just get a little coals on there. There we go. Put the rest right on top. Okay, we checked this earlier and uh, it wasn't done, so we just let it on there more, and so we don't know. So we're gonna see the big reveal right now to see what this thing looks like. All right. Whoa, it's really hot. Okay. Wow. Okay, so well, I'm just gonna take good. it out. Trying to put that on. Okay, we're just gonna take it out here. Do I just turn, flop it over? Mm. Woo! There we go. Look at that. It smells really good. Okay, I'm just gonna cut it open. It's cheesy. I don't think that's how you're supposed to cut this. Here, let me see. I think it's maybe a little doughy still. Hold on, let's see what it is on the bottom. Yeah, it's a little burnt. Okay, that's fine. We'll just take it off the top. We'll just take it off the top. We're gonna let this cool. Okay, I can't wait anymore. It's gotta be, ah, it's really as hot. Okay, woo, it's hot. Okay, there we go. See what this is like. Okay. Tastes like jalapeno bread. It's really good. That's good for our first time. Ezekiel had 390 days on his left side to try to perfect this, and then 40 days on his right. So for us, first time, not too bad. All right, let me give you three thoughts on repentance. Uh, before we do that, I should probably define repentance. I think most of us know what that word means, but here's how most of us think about it. We think about repentance as I'm, go I'm doing this thing, I'm doing this thing that I know I shouldn't be doing, and I'm going to repent, so I'm going to do 180, and I'm going to turn around, and I'm going to start doing something new, and I'm going to do something different now with my life. And that's what most of us think of as repentance. And it's not far off, but that's not exactly the biblical way of thinking thinking about uh, this word repentance because number one is this, repentance is not just a change in what we do, but changing the way we think. And so many of us think repentance is a changing in our doing. I'm doing this thing wrong and I need to turn around and start to do this thing right. But that's not what the Bible talks about. It talks about renewing our mind to the way that we think. It's not even just what we're thinking about. It's the way we think about something. So that's what repentance really is. And I've talked about this before uh, and given these illustrations, but I think it's really helpful. It sure helped me to think about it this way and to think in a new way about repentance. Um, when we first moved down this direction, we lived about 40 minutes north. And I thought, man, if I'm going to be around Kansas City, then I need to try some Kansas City barbecue. And so we started looking up all these barbecue places that are famous. Because what I used to think about barbecue was going out to your grill and grilling some hamburgers. I know, that's really bad. That's like sacrilegious to even say about Kansas City. And so we went to Oklahoma Joe's, you know, the gas station back when it was Oklahoma Joe's. We stood in line. We had some good Kansas City barbecue. And I know there's a lot of different debates about which one's the best. I'm not here to sell that debate. I'm just telling you that that night when I had barbecue and I had some real Kansas City barbecue, I repented. I mean, the way that I thought about barbecue had totally changed. 
I, I couldn't undo what I had thought before. I couldn't change it anymore. I couldn't go back. I had literally repented in the biblical sense of the word. You could say I'd just been barbecue born again. I mean, I, I just totally changed. I couldn't go back to the way things were. I had a friend of mine that took me to Jack Stack one time. I know I'm getting hungry, right? Took me to Jack Stack and said, these are the best baked beans you ever have. Now, I, I don't normally uh, eat a lot of baked beans, but I went there and I tried these baked beans and I'm like, yeah, that's the best baked beans I've ever had in my life. And I can no longer go back to think about baked beans in the same way. I had what? I had repented, not just what I was doing, but the way I thought about things in that area was totally different. That's what repentance means. Let me give you a couple other examples. Uh, years ago when I was a youth pastor, I took a bunch of teenagers to the LA Dream Center. We did a lot of work with the homeless there and serving and different things like that. But we had a free day one day and we decided we were going to go to Universal Studios or wherever and down to Hollywood and just check out all the sites wherever people go. And and so I had seen a lot about the handprints in the cement and the theater there and the Hollywood sign. And so we wanted to go see it just so we could say we saw it with our own eyes. And so we went there and I was totally disappointed. I mean, everything was smaller than I thought it was on TV. Everything was dirtier and messier. And I could no longer think of those iconic places in the same way anymore. I had what? Repented in the biblical sense of the word. Now, I think Hollywood needs to repent, but I had repented of the way I viewed those iconic places. I couldn't think of it in the same way anymore. I grew up in a small town, just a couple hundred people in the town. Uh, our curfew was not a specific time. It was dark, you know, and that's when your curfew was. We rode our bikes everywhere. Our parents didn't even know where we were half the time. Uh, everything was just a certain way about small town living. And I remember when I first uh, went on an airplane on a jet over the ocean, you start to fly up and everything starts to get small. And all of a sudden you see this vast expanse of the ocean from, from, in the clouds, you're above the clouds. What happened? I had repented. The way that I saw the world, the world was totally different from that point on. I couldn't go back and undo and unthink that because the way I had thought about things now was completely different and it would forever be. That's what repentance is. Uh, another example, I mean, I, when it came to having kids, I mean, before I had kids, I had known people that had kids. I'd been around kids. I'd had friends that were kids when I was a kid. I had been a kid, but there was something different that first moment when I held my first child in my arms. I had repented. I no longer could I think the same way that I did about being a dad with a kid. All of a sudden, from there on out, my world had changed the way I thought. That's what biblical repentance really is. So it's not just repenting of what we're doing. So many of us get stuck on what we're doing. And I want to repent and I want to change my behavior. Behavior is a byproduct of real biblical repentance. It is not the actual repentance. It's a byproduct of the actual repentance. So if you want to grow in your love for God and other people, what's it going to take? It's going to take a repentance in some area of your life or 
a change in the way you think, not just what you do, but the way you think about God, the way you think about other people, it's going to take a repentance. If you want to grow in your faith, guess what? It's going to take a change, not just in what you're doing or what you're reading or whatever. Those things are fine. But the ultimate answer to that is that the way we think begins to change about those things. And we do that by inviting the Holy Spirit into that process. And so that's what repentance is. If you want to grow in patience, the way you think about life begins to change. You renew your mind to that. Thought number two is this. Real repentance produces love not pride. You see, when we start to grow in God or to grow in any of our area of our life, there's a temptation for us to begin to look at other people who are not where we're at as less than, or you just don't get it, or you're wrong and you need to come up to my level. See, there's this real temptation that we have when we start to grow that everyone who's not doing what we're doing is wrong and they've got a problem and they're immature. And so pride is a temptation that that we begin to have. Now, let me just use a modern day, right now, real time example of this temptation that we have. And I'm going to do it by, by just illustrating this just a little bit. So I'm going to need this hat. I really don't need this hat uh, for this, but it's just fun. And some of you guys right now, you're thinking, Sean, you're just going crazy during this quarantine. I mean, you're baking cakes, you're eating fish cereal. Now you're dressing up like a cowboy. Uh, but it is to illustrate this point right here. And no, that's not for me to rob a bank. That's wearing a mask. And I mean that in the the literal sense of the debate about whether we should wear a mask or not wear a mask. And these masks have become political or not. They become divisive. They become these two different camps of on one side, we need to wear it to be safe and to be responsible, to be a good neighbor. Another side that says, no, there's something wrong with that. We're losing our rights. We're losing our freedoms. And there's two different camps. And I'll just be real straight with you guys today. Some of you guys are like, oh, no, you're stepping in. Yeah, I'm stepping in it today. But I'm going to be real straight with you guys. I personally have been condemned for wearing a mask and been pressured for not wearing a mask. And maybe you felt the same thing. And so you have these two different sides. But at the root of each side, somewhere in one of the layers in each side, there is a layer of fear, like fear. I don't want to spread something or I don't want to do something wrong or I don't want I want to do the right thing. And so I've got to be you know, protective. And then on the other side, there's this fear of I'm going to lose my rights if I comply with this and I'm not going to lose my rights. And so whatever layer down, there is a layer of fear that's involved. And we have to be careful because the Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. I heard somebody say it this week and said it this way and I thought it was really good. Fear is not an emotion. Fear is a spirit. Fear is not an emotion. Fear is a spirit. And if we aren't careful, we can allow fear. You know, Pastor Aaron talked about the difference between fear and wisdom at the beginning of this thing. And so many times we begin to pass off wisdom uh, or pass off fear as wisdom when we dress it up like that. But if there's any hint of fear, whatever camp we're in, we have to cast that spirit out and rather than entertain it. And so 
So what happens is we need to repent of our spirit of fear. We need to repent of our spirit of division. Whatever side you're on, there's a temptation to look down on the other side, even as believers. There's a temptation to walk in pride towards the other side, even as believers. This goes against what Jesus teaches us to do. And so the only thing I can think about this and compare it to in Scripture was a, a debate where some people in Scripture were saying, we shouldn't eat meat that's been offered to idols because that's just not right. We don't want to compromise by doing such a thing. Then on the other side, you had people say, listen, it doesn't matter. We pray over our food. It's blessed. You're free to do whatever you want. And so there was some tension back in the day. So what did Paul say about that? Well, Paul said, listen, if you're a stronger person and there's a weaker person, don't cause the other person to sin. And so in this debate, I ask you, okay, who's the stronger person, the mask wearer or the non-mask wearer? Which one is the stronger person? And I challenge you, be careful how you answer that. Because I know there's passion and there's opinions involved. But Paul said, if you are the stronger person, you need to cater to the weaker person. Here's how that would play out. It would play out if you're a mask wearer and you feel that you're the stronger person, then to the weaker person, when you're around them, that means you would take off your mask. If you're a, you feel like over here, like I'm a, a non-mask wearer and I'm a stronger person and they're a weaker person, that means when you get around the other person, if you consider them to be the weaker one, you'd put on your mask. I understand in this debate, it's not that simple. My point is not to settle this debate of whether you should wear a mask or not. I'm not interested in that. What I am interested is in, in whatever side you land on, we better show love towards the other side. In fact, we don't even have an option to. Years ago, I, I recognized some things in my life how I, I was struggling in the area of trying to show love towards people. I mean, just in the natural, I would just, I would just struggle. And so I began to pray a prayer. I said, God, help me to have supernatural love because my natural love isn't cutting it. I mean, I'm running into situations where in the natural, I'm not, I'm not showing love. And so I began to pray and ask God for a supernatural love. And I started to do that for a while. And then God began to, to convict me a little bit further. And, and part of it came through something I heard John Maxwell do. And John Maxwell was preaching one day and he was up in front of a crowd and he had people repeat them, repeat after him. And I'm going to have you participate right there in your home and do the same thing. And he said this, he said, for God so loved thee, all right, you were supposed to say world right there. I said, for God so loved thee. All right, and he said this. He said, repeat after me. He said, God loves me. So you go ahead and say that. All right, and then he would say, God loves people that I know. God loves people that I don't know. He said, God, repeat after me. God loves people that I don't like. <laughs> and that's the problem. Even as believers... There's a whole lot of people that we as Christians just don't like. Maybe somebody who grew up a little different than us. Maybe somebody who isn't in the same thing that we are. And maybe somebody who's not at the same level we think we are. Maybe somebody who doesn't, doesn't agree with us politically. And there's a whole lot of people that we as believers just don't like. And I began to pray not just for a supernatural love, and because a love is a choice and I have to love you because you're a brother and sister in Christ. In fact, I'm supposed to even love my enemies. 
But a like is more like a reaction or a culture or a response. So I began to pray a crazy prayer. And I began to pray, God, don't just give me a supernatural love for people. Give me a supernatural like for other people. Yes, even people who don't live like me. Yes, other people who disagree with me. Yes, other people who I would even consider an enemy. God, give me a supernatural like for them. Not, not a, a permission for them to walk in sin or to not walk in truth, but, but help my, my heart orient towards you, the way that you see them. See, you don't have to, uh, you have to love people to reach them, but I believe there's a part of us that really actually has to like people to be able to reach them for Jesus. And so uh, I began to pray that crazy prayer. Point number three is this. Thought number three is this. Repentance leads to revival. Now, at the beginning of this book of Ezekiel, it starts with this topic of repentance that goes quite a ways through the book. But towards the end of the book, we start to see the fruit of repentance. And there's this famous story in chapter 37. And it's this valley, this picture of this valley that God shows Ezekiel. And it's full of dry bones. And it's just dry and it's brittle. And God asks Ezekiel a question. He said, can these bones live? And Ezekiel's like, God, only you know. And God commands Ezekiel. He says, yeah, begin to prophesy to these dry bones. And so he begins to prophesy, begins to prophesy life to come back through them. And layer by layer, and in verse 10, we see this. He says, and so I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them. And they lived and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. I just want to propose this to you today. If you're going through a dry season right now, which we all can go through different dry seasons in our life. If you're going through a dry season in your life, first of all, I want to prophesy to you, yes, those bones can live. But I also want to say this, maybe it's going to take some repentance or a change in the way we think and a renewing of our mind by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we allow that repentance to happen, revival begins to come. And so I want to pray for that as we close, especially those of you guys who are going through a dry season. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you can take our dry bones and that you can, you can cause them to live again. We thank you so much that you love us so much, that you, you love us where we are, but you don't leave us where we are. And we want to grow closer to you. I pray for every single person right now, in fact, I just invite you right now to ask the Holy Spirit this. Ask God if there's any area of your life where maybe you've refused to change the way you think. Maybe it's about a person. Maybe it's about the church. Maybe it's about a situation in your life or a relationship. And you've just dug in your heels and you refused to change the way or to repent about that area. Is there an area that I need to repent in? Just allow the Holy Spirit to breathe into this moment. And Lord, we take these, these things that you're speaking to us right now and we embrace your conviction. Your conviction is what leads us to revival, that repentance as we begin to walk that out. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, if the Holy Spirit brought something to mind right there, you have two options. One is to surrender that and to lay that at the feet of Jesus and to say, Holy Spirit, come and change me. Change the way I think about this. Help me walk in repentance by your grace. Or two, you can say, I'm putting up a wall just like Ezekiel in his battlefield picture where he put up a wall between God and the people of Israel. And we can harden our hearts towards that area of our life. And so many times we wall off areas 
areas of our life and we wonder why we don't grow and we wonder why we walk in a dry season. I just pray for all of us that we'd walk in that surrender and that repentance. I want you to understand this too. Jesus invites us to this life of repentance and he invites us in this way where he says, here's one way of looking at life, but Jesus says, I am the way to life. I am the way to the Father. And if you have been living your own way and thinking about life your own way apart from Jesus, then you, I'm going to call you and invite you to repent or to invite a new way of living, a new way of thinking about life. And Jesus says he is that way. When you look at Jesus, you see the way to life. The Bible says that the broad is the, is the way but, and, and to destruction and narrow is the way to life. And there are few who find it. Well, if you're here watching this today and you can feel God right now, drawing you. I want you to understand he's drawing you to this narrow way, this this way that's a beautiful way, and that's the way of Jesus. I want you to understand this. Jesus died on the cross for you and for me, and he made a way for us to have access and right relationship with God. He did this by being the perfect sacrifice. There's not one of us here that could live a perfect sinless life, and sin holds us back as a barrier between us and God. And Jesus laid down his life as a perfect sacrifice. He spilled his blood on that cross and he did it so that he could pay for you and I pave a way for us to have a relationship with the father and he rose from the dead and he offers us brand new life and I want to invite you if you feel like I need to repent and I need to turn from my way and turn to his way the Bible says we can do that by faith and receive that grace by faith and we do that by what we believe in our heart the Bible says if we confess that with our mouth that we shall be saved and so I want to pray with you if that's you would you pray Pray this with me. Just say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me, for taking my place. I believe that you, your death on the cross paid the price for my sin and it washes me, my sins clean so that I can be perfectly uh, made right with you through the blood of Jesus. I believe that you died on the cross, but I believe you rose from the dead and that you offer life. And I surrender all right now and I choose to repent of my way and to turn to your way in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, we want to know about it. There's a link on our YouTube, our Facebook, or our website that you can click that you've decided to follow Jesus. And we want to help you with some next steps. And we would love to be honored to be able to walk you through these next steps with Jesus. Thank you guys for being here. I pray a blessing over every single person. Until next time, we'll see you.